When we come to Jesus, we come to him with empty hands, right? That's that surrender. There's nothing we can bring to make it any better. There's nothing that we can offer that balances the scale. We come to him and we completely rely upon him and that's called trusting Jesus. And then to sing a song like this as a church, that we surrender, kind of tells me that it's still a daily task. It's something that we still have to work on. And I believe my, my relationship with Jesus is, is secure, but it seems like every day I am opening up those hands and having to give him some things because I just want that control. And so that's kind of what today's topic is about because the idea of letting God work in our lives and the lives of those around us is something that we need to be reminded of frequently. One of the most beautiful and well-loved scripture passages in the Bible is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there or phone app. Um, Proverbs 3, the book of Proverbs was this, was this collection of wisdom. It was like put together, uh, we believe, by Solomon, and many of them are 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 original with him, and then there's others that, that I think that he just uh, received or heard about and wrote down because he didn't author all of it. But, but Proverbs is full of incredible wisdom, and I love the definition of wisdom as being this, looking at life from God's point of view. And if I can look at my life from God's point of view, how will I see things differently? And so you have Solomon writing here in Proverbs chapter 3, Some of the most beloved words in Scripture, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. That's a verse that you can cling to for life. That's one of those verses that you can, you can keep close to you, that you want to write it on a three-by-five card and put it on your mirror or in your car dash to where you're, you're always thinking, that's, that's, that's my job today is to trust in him. And as beautiful as it is, what we find is that it also is one of the most challenging. Because we can't help but want to control things in our life and situations and people. But what that does is it creates this cycle of fear. What do you mean, Eric? So... so we, Follow me here. So the more we try to control people or things or situations, the more we become afraid of losing them or that things aren't going to turn out the way that we thought. And the more we're afraid, the more we try to control things in our life that we really can't control. And so it just creates this cycle of fear. You have the story in the Old Testament where you have Abraham being called out of a place called Ur of the Chaldees. His name was Abram at the time. And God is going to use Abram, who will later become Abraham, to be the father of Israel, God's people. So he calls Abraham and his wife Sarai out of Ur of the Chaldees to make, going to send him somewhere that he'll show him at some time. And he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. You're going to have a lot of babies and grandbabies. So much so that it's going to outnumber the stars in the sky. Here's the problem. Abraham didn't have any kids. Sarai was barren. They had no children. 
And so about 10 years goes by between the time that God makes this promise until the time Sarai finally steps up and says, someone's got to do something about this. Because apparently we either misunderstood God or he needs our help. And so here we pick up in Genesis chapter 16 with Sarai convincing her husband Abraham to do something that for us culturally today would be pretty dangerous for your relationship with your wife. It says this, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Probably not his best move. And Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abraham had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abraham to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And thus began centuries of chaos and conflict. Because they decided to take matters into their own hands. Because God is just taking too long. It's just not working out the way that we thought it was going to work out. Or, or it just is not on our timetable and I just don't get it. So we're going to take matters into our own hands. And they have Ishmael, the firstborn of Abraham. And then you might be more familiar with Isaac because God did open the womb of Sarai and she did have a baby. And that is who God used to begin the nation of Israel. But how relatable is this? Maybe not the sleeping with Hagar part. I wouldn't advise anybody sleeping with anybody named Hagar. No offense if you know a Hagar, it's just not a familiar name anymore. But how relatable is this that we want to control something in our life? We want to control areas of our life. Maybe for you it's finances. Like you just can't trust God, so you're going to have to control those finances. Maybe it's, maybe it's your children. Like you're trying to determine what their future is going to be and try and make that happen. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe you're just insistent that that person needs to become a different person than who they are, and you're trying to intervene and help God make this happen. Maybe it's just stupid drivers that you're trying to control that are out there on the highway that need to go through driver's ed one more time. It just creates anxiousness. I don't know. It just came in my head. I don't know who would have a problem with that. But at some point, you have to choose to surrender that or them to God and trust that he's going to do what God does. 
Because whenever we face out-of-control situations, we either go to one of two extremes. We either, we either see that it's getting out of control, so we try even harder to control it, or we just kind of give up and just put on our pity party hat and invite everybody who doesn't come. And we just pout about it. And neither one of them are effective. But, but part of letting go, I think, is, is just learning to trust God more than we had before this issue came up. And now I, I know I'm not the only one, but it just seems like with every new thing that happens, with every, with every personal problem or every family situation or job situation, it seems like we're going through this all over again for the first time. Like I, am, I'm, I thought I had learned how to trust God the last time, and now I have to trust God all over again with this thing. And our first reaction is always to try and manipulate it and control it and make it happen. And we just need to trust God like we know we're supposed to trust God. Because here's the truth. A lot of letting go is learning how to trust God. But a lot of letting go is figuring out what God is trying to do in you rather than them or the situation. Because here's what's, what's incredible. We oftentimes miss miss what God is trying to make us into and what God is trying to do in our life, we often miss that because we're focusing on that other person and what we're wanting God to do in them. And we miss out that maybe they're a jerk because you need to have a softer heart. Maybe you're not seeing that part of it. Maybe you're in this situation because God is trying to fix something in you. I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying it's worth an ask. Like, God, what am I supposed to learn here? So, so part of letting go and surrendering and coming to Jesus with all that you have, part of that is trusting him and surrendering your life to him. Part of it is, God, what are you working on here? Like, what... What am I needing to become and who am I needing to be and how can I be a better this or a better that? One of my leadership mentors is, is Craig Rochelle. I just really enjoy reading his, his blogs and his, and his books and, and listening to his leadership podcast. And, I, and so this is not original. These three items I'm going to give you right here. But he asked three questions to consider whenever we are in the throes of a controlling situation. And these three questions are this. First of all, is it worth my concern? Is it worth my concern? Now you may say, Eric, you don't know my situation. I I know I don't know your situation, so that's why you're asking yourself this question. Is it worth my concern? There's only so much in life that you can control. You have to decide if that thing you're trying to control is worth your concern. And the anxiety that it creates in our life. Because let me tell you, we allow so many little things to become very important to us that really weren't that big a deal. Let me just be honest with you. I hate fingerprints on my car windshield or on the window. I just, I hate that. I hate a dirty car. I like to keep my car clean. I'm not always great at it, but I like a clean car. I like the inside of my car to clean. I like to get my outside of my car washed. That's the best $29 I've ever spent in my life is down here at the car wash membership place. I can go in there anytime during the month, get a wash for free. You have that membership too as well, right, honey? Just, I love clean cars. There's only so many things I can control in my life. See what I'm saying? 
Can I go home with anybody tonight? <laughs> the other day we got in the car and my granddaughter Vera had been in there and I look over and there's like just all kinds of stuff on my... I was like, who in the world... Vera, okay. To my windshield, my, my elbow and did that. Tried to clean it all off. And I know those are silly examples and I picked them on purpose because... Those are things in my life that really do create anxiety. It's like I just stress over that stupid stuff. And it's like, where does that really rank? And I know you don't like, like me very well right now. But it's like, where does that rank in order of importance? Like how much, how much angst is this creating when it's really not a big deal? Is it worth my concern? Okay. How about the way that you want the dishwasher stacked just right? Like, is it really worth? I mean, at least we're trying to help, right? And if you're going to come in and redo the whole thing anyway, might as well just let you do it to begin with. I don't know if anybody else here experiences that. I've heard of people who are like that. Not necessarily me in particular. But, but how important is that thing? Is it worth my concern? So that's one question. The second question Craig says to ask is, is it mine to control? Like, is this my, my thing? Is this, is this my role? Now, if it is, and you can affect change, then do it. I'm not saying we just step back and say, well, you know, God, I just didn't feel like brushing my teeth today. I was hoping you'd do that. No, there are some things that are within your control that you can do. You need to fill out a job application if you want a job, right? There's things that are within your control that you can do. But keep this in mind, that surrendering control is not the same as relinquishing responsibility. So just because you're given the control to God does not mean there's nothing for you to do is what I'm saying. You can trust God and give it to him, and he's going to work out that situation, but you still have to be nice to them. You still have to do what you can do to make that happen. Is it mine to control? Is there any part of that formula that is you, that's your job, has your name on it, and you do this, then God does this? Is it worth your concern? Is it yours to control? And then finally, the third question, not finally like we're done with a message. It's like finally, like this is the end of Craig's list here. Is it for God alone? And these are the things that we wrestle with. Because there are going to be many things in our lives that we simply cannot control, and we just have to control, uh, we just have to trust that God will control it. Because here's the thing when we try to control, that which only God can control, we become very anxious. But when we give that thing to God to control, then we can have peace. Can you change your spouse? Probably not. Like you can, you can affect some change and you can be who you need to be, right? But God can. Can you, can you heal your loved one? 
I mean, there's some decisions you can make. You can trust the hospital. You can, you can, you can do what you need to do, but ultimately, only God can. Can you control your children's future and all the decisions you're going to make? Boy, wouldn't you love to. I mean, if I knew then what I know now, right? But you can't. But God can. So how would you complete this statement? In my life, I am trying to control this. Now, I, I, I left that blank, you know, for, for contemplation, not because I want you to write something in for your neighbor to see. But identifying what that is is really important. Now, for some of you, I should have left enough room to write a paragraph. Because, like, there are some personality types that try and just control everything in their life, right? They're just, they're all about, it's just how God made them. Like, they're all about trying to get all of everybody else's ducks in a row, too. But there are some things you just can't control. So when you, when you have this thing, I'm trying to control this, go back and then ask yourselves the questions. Is it, is it worth my concern? Is it mine to control? Or is it for God alone? I know this, that the more you try to control it, the more you're trying to play God in your life. Now listen very carefully. And if you're trying to play God when it's only jobs when it's only God's job to play God, you're really operating in opposition to God. And that's a tough place to be. So if it's God's job to change them, and you're playing God, trying to do what only God can do, you may not be doing the same things that are actually helping the situation. There's a big statement right here. The number one reason you're under stress is because you're in conflict with God. Now, you can disagree with me, and I'll be happy to admit that I'm wrong, but I've thought about this, and I've rewritten it a half a dozen different ways. But the more scenarios I run this through, the more I realize it's true, that in whatever area of my life that I'm feeling stress, it's because I'm likely in conflict with God about that area. Because let me follow it up with this, and it'll make more sense. You're trying to control things that only God can control. So there's the surrender. And I'd love to know what that thing is in your life. I'd love for you to know what that thing is in your life that you're trying to control. And if that's the thing that's bringing you the most stress, sit back and ask yourself, am I in stress about this because somewhere I'm in conflict with God? Because I'm trying to fix it a certain way. Or he's not moving fast enough. So I'm going to jump in and try to make something happen here. And there may be exceptions to that rule. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus gives this incredible invitation to follow him. And it seems so appealing. And it is. And he talks about the burden and the yoke and the load that comes with following him. And I just want to kind of read this from a fresh perspective. Like, does this sound like the life that you're living? Does this sound anything like 
the Christian walk that you're on. He says this, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How we doing? Is that, is that feeling like the life that you're living right now? Because God is pulling and you're pulling and you're good. So if you look at, you know, there's, there's a couple ways I've seen this interpreted, the idea of being a yoke. One way is that a rabbi in those days, he would teach and his, his disciples would, would literally like have some type of thing that they wore that was a little yoke, like went around their neck and they would, and, and they identified them as a follower of this particular rabbi. And that represented the fact that they are following the teachings of this particular rabbi and Jesus is saying, my yoke is easy. In other words, in other words the, the, the way that I am teaching you how to live and relate to God is easy. There's also another way to look at it, and that is the, the literal yoke that they would put on oxen. And the way that they would do it is they would generally not take two mature oxen and put them together. They would, if they were trying to teach a young oxen how to pull, they would, they would team that young oxen. I still don't know what a young oxen is called. An oxet. So they take they take that little one and they put it with the big one, and then the little one just learns how to pull by imitating what the big one's doing. And so if we are in yoke with Christ, letting him pull, letting him do the work and you're just kind of there learning how to live life is a lot better than you trying to go over here and fix this. And that's what I was saying. You're in opposition with God. And if you are pulling and trying to get it done this way and inter- and intercede and make this happen and intervene and-, and manipulate, what's happening is now you are actually in conflict with Jesus because you're trying to make this happen. You will wear yourself out by trying to do all the work because you're not pulling the load with him you're actually pulling against him now. And here's an important statement. I don't even have it up on there. But when you are following Jesus, you are not in control. And that's hard for a lot of you. When you are following Jesus, you are not the one in control. But we want control. We, don't have, we want the answers. We, know, we want to know where we're going. We want to know how, what the results are going to be because that's where we find our security. And that's the problem God doesn't want you to have faith in your IRA. God wants you to have faith in him. God doesn't want you to have faith in your ability to be a good spouse so it changes them. He wants you to have faith in him. When you're following Jesus, you're not the one in control. So here's three words that'll help, and it's the title of our sermon, Let God Work. The first one is let. And let me just give you a couple facets of that. You may have to take your hands off of whatever this is. Not only that, you might have to stop manipulating. If I do this, then, I can, then they'll do this. Or if I do this, then maybe this will happen. Just take your hands off. You might have to stop manipulating. And thirdly, you just need to rest in his ability to affect change. Let. Let it happen. Let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that you're giving him permission. It doesn't mean that you are empowering God to do something. 
When I say let, it basically just means to set yourself free from being the one responsible to make this happen. And then the word God. A couple things about God here I want to remind us of. He is good. He is good. He is a good God. There's nothing other than good that he can be. Regardless of how you think your life turned out, regardless of what has happened, regardless of the situation you're in, God cannot be anything but good. Now, how do you, how do you define good? Like if you look in my dictionary, it may not look the same as what it looks like in God's dictionary. Because what's good for me or good in my life may not be what I think I've experienced. And I may define it as something different than what God defines it as. But God can call it good because God knows how it's going to work. Not only is God good, but he knows best. I mean, he knows the answers. He knows how to fix this. He's good and he knows best, and, and, and he loves well. Like he loves you so well, and he loves them more than you love them. And he wants to work in their life more than you want him to work in their life. How many times have I seen it? Not a lot, okay, a couple times. Where like a wife is praying for her husband to get in church or to, to meet Jesus or whatever, and then he does, and he gets all cranked up about Jesus, and he's like all into everything. And then all of a sudden, she's like trying to get him to back off. Because that's not exactly what she had in mind. Like, I didn't mean for you to be a fanatic, right? Just let God do what God's going to do. You, you just can't control that kind of stuff. He is good, and he knows best, and he loves well, and he can do anything. So let... God, and then finally, work. And as he works, keep, the, keeps this in mind, keep this in mind, his ways are better than our ways. And there it goes back to that definition. You, it may not look like the way that you thought it was going to turn out, but let God work. Not only that, but his work may not look like our work. Like you would have done it this way. Like you would have involved Hagar. When God just wants you to wait a little longer. And not only that, but his work may require us to work. Like we, we may play a role in this. Like while he's working there, don't mess it up. Like don't interject yourself and mess up what God is trying to do. I would suggest that you just keep your mouth shut, but you keep your hands busy. Because that's, that's normally where we do the most damage, right? Is we just can't help ourselves. We have to say something. Just keep your mouth shut and get your hands busy and do your part of the work. And then God's work may not be the same timetable as our work. Like that's, that's on him. And I don't want to rush him. And I don't want him to delay either. And it's okay to air that out with him. To let him know your heart. But every day, here's the choice. Every day is a choice whether I'm going to be in control of my life or God's going to be in control of my life. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says this, For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is the one working in you. What is he doing in you? Stress relief starts with letting God be who God is and letting him work. Now, I don't know what you're going to face this week, and quite frankly, you don't either. You think you have an idea, but you never know what this week is going to throw at you. But I already know what God wants you to do, and that is let God be who he is and let God work. We'll close with this verse, Psalm 46, verse 10, one of the sweetest, little, short, succinct passages of Scripture. And I don't think we have any idea what it fully means. It says, be still and know that I am God. That word still is how we define that Hebrew word. And when they wrote that in Hebrew thousands of years ago, we translated it as still in our English language because we didn't have anything else that was close to it. But let me give you a little broader definition of what that word still is. So here, here we are being told to be still. But what else could that mean? It means to relax. Take it easy. It means to relax. I love this one. It means to let it drop. Let it drop. It means to let go, and it means to be quiet. Yeah, Eric, but yeah, just be still. And then it says, know that I'm God. And I love this. The Hebrew would have said it this way. Always be learning that I am God. Like in every situation that you run across, is another opportunity for you to remember and learn that I'm God. Because it's not just like, a, like, like 2 plus 2 equals 4, you learn that, you got it. Learning that he is God is a continual process. So the idea is that always be learning that he is God. So relax, let it drop, let it go, be still, and continually be learning in your life that I'm God. So what area of your life are you needing to learn that he is God? This morning, let's pray. Father, we love you and we don't have any idea what you're really doing. But help us to trust you and rely upon you and do what we are supposed to do. But rest and be still and watch you work. Help us to let you work in our lives and everyone we touch. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.